I'm Lynn Harder, host of Defining Moments, a podcast produced by WOUB Public Media. Humans are storytellers. We tell stories to make sense of birthing and dying and everything in between. This podcast features stories about health and healing. It grew out of my desire to disrupt the silence that too often surrounds vulnerability. Join me as guests and I explore what it means to live well in the midst of inescapable illness and hardship. Today, I'm joined by two amazing women, Patty Mitchell and Susan Deloey. They are the leadership team of PassionWorks, a collaborative community arts center located in Athens, Ohio. The mission of PassionWorks is to inspire and liberate the human spirit through the arts. In living out its mission, it has cultivated a more vibrant and inclusive community. Today, I'm talking to Patty and Susan about their recent co-authored article in Health Communication, titled, Cultivating Passion Through Collaborative Art, a Dialogic Exploration of Disability, Storytelling, and Social Change. Their efforts are also featured in a film titled Creative Abundance that's digitally available on Amazon. And they've co-authored a book published by Ohio University Swallow Hills Press. Patty and Susan, it's it's been an honor to follow you with a camera for, for several years in the production of Creative Abundance, and now to invite listeners of this podcast into the story and the conversation. Patty and Susan, thank you for taking time to have a jam session with your <laughs> listeners and I about your life-giving and inspiring work. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Absolutely. So I want to begin at ground zero because I, I'm not convinced that most of the listeners will understand what a sheltered workshop is. So I'm hoping that one of you can kind of talk through what the purpose of sheltered workshops are and kind of the history of them in, in our culture. Sheltered workshops have been around for over 50 years, and they were originally um, – kind of put into place as an extension of a school program for, for children with disabilities. Parents at that uh, back 50 years ago or so were looking for something for their adults to do once they graduated from school. And they pretty much stayed along the same model of the segregated school programs and, and transferred that right into the adult programs. And really in the last 50 years, not much has changed. They're pretty much the same as they were. Um, when they were originally started. Um, I found something here recently that I found that was really interesting, and it was by um, Dr. Steven Tyler um, from the Center on Human Policy at Syracuse. And this was written in 2002, so this is 17 year la years later, and I think that this really still holds true. And he said, it's time to consign sheltered workshops to history. The case against them is strong, not merely on philosophical grounds, but pragmatic ones as well. And the reason that he says that is because it's well proven that people are better served when they're integrated into their own communities. And the sheltered workshop model was really one of segregation and isolation. And one of the things that they found was that less than 3% of people leave sheltered workshops in any given year to enter com competitive employment, even though they were looked at as possibly a transition to community employment that never really came to fruition. So I think, you know, one of the things that we talk about in our book is that it's, it's time for change. And it's interesting that even in 2002, 17 years ago, you know, there was talk of, of the need for change, and it really has not yet happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they were conceptualized as a space in which people could continue to learn and grow and develop vocational um, abilities. But oftentimes, if I'm hearing you, um, they did so at the expense of allowing individuals to really interact fully with other members of the community. Right. Um, people really just interacted with other people with disabilities. And though there have been efforts over the years to try to change the face of sheltered workshops, 
um, our travels across the country have really shown that they haven't changed much. And Patty and I have always been amazed when we go um, to different states like New York or North Carolina or Indiana that somehow this model was replicated almost exactly in every single state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm struck by um, the, the f- opening scene of the film in which both of you are featured, Creative Abundance, and and the camera spans in on a couple of people who are shredding paper. They're shredding paper as part of their eight-hour workday. And they're shredding paper in, in a traditional sheltered workshop for a job that's not really required, right? That isn't value-added in society. Right? And I think that that's an example of what you're talking about. Like, it's, it's work, work that perhaps keeps people busy and safe, but isn't very expressive. Is that the typical type of employment? Yeah, I think that even in, in that video or the, the film that you also showed where some people were, they were pre-shredding is basically what they were doing. So they were tearing paper that was then going to be put into a shredding machine. So it really was a a fabricated job. And some of the other things that they did at that exact same sheltered workshop, and then this has also been replicated across the country, was what was called simulated work, where people would do the same types of repetitive things all day long for no pay, you know, with the idea that they were being trained for some type of futuristic work that never came to fruition. And at the end of the day, the staff members would take apart whatever they had put together so that it would be ready for the next day. Mm-hmm. So 20 years ago, Patty, you had a different vision. Mm-hmm. Your vision was much more creative and, and inspired and, and asset-based right? Based on people's inclinations and ideas and curiosities. Talk to us about how you went about re-envisioning, right, a a model that continues to still be fairly institutionalized in our culture. Well, my um, introduction to a sheltered workshop wasn't to learn about the sheltered workshop so I could change the sheltered workshop. Mm -hmm. I was interested in developing community art programming Mm. because I like to make art. And I like to do it by myself, but I also love to get together with community to see what would could happen. Mm-hmm. So I was shopping for a place to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was invited to go to a sheltered workshop. So I saw tables, people, a building, and in my head, a community arts center waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And so bringing in unlikely partners together creates new ideas. It just... I think that's just you know science; it's nature, and mm-hmm. and so um, we were able to get a small grant from the Ohio Arts Council and have an experimental studio, and you know I, as a as a person who makes things, I'm I'm interested in what does work, what I do have to be able to make things out of, not what it could be, but what it is, and so it was a very different approach to seeing people not for their deficit but for their interests and their action, and so we just combined people's interests and abilities and made art and it was just the it was just a a flow of joy absolutely i want to pick up on something that you mentioned because i think it's really key it's a linchpin in how i see you organizing differently both of you Um, you talk about this deficit this deficit-based model and so as I've been immersed in in these environments along with you what I've seen are individual service plans where much of the effort is directed at kind of normalizing individuals so if they have limited motion in their arm right a goal might be to try to fix that Mm -hmm. or if a person has a an obsessive compulsive disorder. A goal might be to to limit that that obsession. And so it's very much like our broader healthcare system. It's deficit driven. Much of the funding comes from right efforts to to help people raise to that that yardstick of normalcy as we construct it. But what I see you all doing is saying we're we're going to set that aside and and our job isn't necessarily to fix you. 
our job is to create an environment in which, based on who you are, in your unique bodies, with your unique gifts and abilities, let's allow you to be and to be creative and to be creative with each other. And out of that, beautiful things will come. We don't necessarily need to fix you, but we need to create a space for you um, to flourish and to mm-hmm. thrive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think that when you're having a conversation with anybody in a, building a relationship, if that relationship is built on me understanding that your deficit needs to be shifted because I say so, that's, that's just uh, an imbalance. And mm. so we go forward and just say, like, if, if you love Smokey Robinson, then let's make Smokey Robinson art, you know? Like, I'm not going to build a plan so we don't talk about Smokey Robinson. We can talk about everything else in the world other than what you're interested in, you know? And, and so, of course, all you're going to think about is Smokey Robinson because <laughs> you're told not to. So, you know, and as a, as a maker, as an artist, we have to be obsessed in order to make things. And, and it's, so it's, we just shift that to a passion, and all of a sudden – it's what is the fuel for the fire to make, and and then it becomes a positive. It's what we search and support and celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that's that struck me that you know, one of the brilliance one of the brilliant things that Patty has come up with <laughs> amongst the many was that she's coined the phrase developmental differences. You know, rather than looking at people from a disability model, it's a developmental difference. You know, and we all have developmental differences, and we look to kind of maximize what people bring to the table rather than looking at their deficits, as you said. Mm-hmm. That is a simple, subtle, yet significant shift mm-hmm. in the way that we talk. Mm-hmm. And it has implications then for the way that we organize, right? To assume that there are differences, right? Contrast that with a metaphor of disability. Right, 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 right yeah. out of the gate. Mm. disability Mm -mm. yeah and it's not special needs you know you hear that often Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and it's not special abilities Mm -hmm. it's just different developmental differences people are different i love the example of Smokey robinson Mm. because early on when i met alexis and her family invited me to their home and alexis was showing me her room right this is a room where Smokey robinson has come alive Right. She painted Smokey everywhere. She had stories about Smokey written on the walls, on the dresser, right, on anything that, that she could get her hands on. Um, and, and working with her over a period of a couple of years, what was interesting is that as she was allowed freedom, she did continue to do Smokey art, but then she expanded. <gasps> And uh Mm aha, she did start to talk about other things, but it wasn't from a place of, we want you to not do this. Mm -hmm. It was, Mm -hmm. we're going to give you freedom and support and honor your inclination, and we'll see where that goes. And then she did spread her wings. And for me, that's a beautiful lesson. And it's something that we've seen repeated over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. with different people who've, you know, like, you know, Susan and I'll be working with somebody and like, oh, you can't be talking about that. We'll come from a staff member and then we'll just keep working and they'll work through it. And it's like then they'll move on to other topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an itch that has to be scratched. Yeah. Susan, another vivid example of this notion of developmental difference, right, rather than disability. I remember meeting Austin. Right. And and for those of, of you who've watched the film Creative Abundance, you will have met Austin, too. And if you haven't watched the film, I encourage you to. But we met Austin in South Carolina and he was really obsessed with shoes and he wanted to paint shoes and his paintings were beautiful and brilliant. Mm-hmm. But again, um, he'd had a lifetime of discouragement um, for that passion um, and when you met him and when you started to shift that sheltered workshop, right, all of a sudden that became his currency, right? his way of interacting with the world. Yeah, I'm sure he had an individual plan or a behavior plan mm-hmm. that said don't talk about shoes. And once he was able to express that, they found out that he was you know, massively talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about, right, the what of sheltered workshops and and the why, like why it, it's Im- important to change them. 
How do we do that, right? How do you go about rethinking a model that, despite good intentions, seems to be so bureaucratized Mm. that it's a fossil, that it's difficult to change? Yeah, I think one of the things that that we've strongly encouraged organizations to do is to not throw everything out. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a tendency right now to say that we shut the doors on anything that looks like a sheltered workshop or a segregated day program. And I think we need to be really careful about that because there are some really small communities out there where employment opportunities are very limited Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. not everybody's going to get a job in a traditional community Mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. like Walmart there's no Walmart in a lot of communities um, there's a dollar store and there's one person that works there so I think it's 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 challenging in that we we try to use what's already there and bring the community into the space you know as well as create opportunities for people to go out but not to completely say that something is bad mm-hmm. and that it mm-hmm. has to be completely shifted or closed Mm-hmm. These spaces are are typically really great for art studios. You know, they have high ceilings and they're warehouse type space with concrete floors and wooden tables and mm-hmm. you know they're they're actually perfect, you know, to transition into more of a creative making space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're populated by people who deeply care about those that they serve. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that, that, that I've struggled with is, you know, saying that everybody should be integrated into a community job is really saying that you can't hang, hang around with people that you've been hanging around with for 40 years. You know, all of a sudden you have to have a different set of friends. It's not okay to hang out with somebody else that has a developmental difference you know, you have to hang out with somebody that does that isn't defined in any way like that. Mm-hmm. And you can't be with your peers. And that's been a real struggle for me. And I know it's not always a popular conception, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it I think it's kind of one that we use as a basis for transitioning these programs into creative spaces. Right. And then and then the expectation in the space is really different. It's kind of like putting it on its head. Mm-hmm. Um you know, typically activities or work was very, it was a replicable system. So if you have crafts or if you have a job, you know, you put a widget together or you build a popsicle reindeer to look like a certain thing. And and then a lot of the staff were asked to, uh, to come on board as care providers. And so we're, we're saying that we're all in it together. And, we're, and when we make art and make things, it's a discovery process. We're exploring materials and ideas. And we don't know what's going to come at the end of this adventure, but we're going to do it together. And that's a whole different mm-hmm. dynamic. So the control and making sure that people stay in their seats and that, you know, everybody stands up together at 11.15 to get their meds and then they walk together to get their lunch. It's like it's way more fluid. And and then when we're in it together and we're exploring, you don't have the power struggles you're in it. You're you're collaborators, and and you bring in some artists because if you have an art studio, if you can capture artists who collaborate, then all of a sudden there's this energy in the room, and conversations expand, and they, it, it's it's unbelievable how a program can shift when the expectations and the opportunities change. We've seen it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think when we go into these spaces, we look at ourselves as disruptors. And I know that's a popular term now in business, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about it one time driving, it was driving back from the last project that we did in Indiana. And Patty looks over at me and she goes, we're disruptors. And I said, I think we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're really disrupting what is normal within the routine of the day within that program. And we're looking at people totally different than what they've been looked at or perceived in, mm-hmm. in the past. So you're disrupting in a safe yeah. and supportive environment, right? You're al- allowing them to take risks, staff and those people, right, who might be served by by the sheltered workshop. That, that's beautiful. And the biggest shift is with the staff, don't you think? Well, the, the individuals who are receiving services, it's like we often describe it like water. We, know we, we move the tables around. We have stations. We have everything's set up like a restaurant in that you're ready to be served and mm-hmm. you're ready to paint or draw or do these. And, 
And when we open the doors and say, ta-da, come on in, it's like literally people come in like water and they find like there's a paintbrush and paint. Obviously, that's where we're going to be painting. That's where they go if that's their interest or wherever they go. And staff, the staff is who we have to really work with. Mm-hmm. Because, whoa, they were like, wait a minute, this is really different. You mean John can just get up from the painting table and walk over to the drawing table when he feels like it? Yes, yes, he can. And and so staff becomes more like uh, servers. I, I think of myself as a waitress constantly mm-hmm. when I'm in mm-hmm. this environment. Mm-hmm. And then also a collaborator. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I can cut things out of wood. I can sew things together quickly because I have that experience. And mm-hmm. and so I can provide, I can be ahead of the curve a little bit, but ultimately I'm constantly responding to people and their ideas and listening. And then not just listening and going, well, that's nice, but I'm do- it, their ideas are manifesting before us. Mm-hmm. And that is that is love in action right there. That's a Beautiful. Why is that? Why do you consider that love in action? Because it is paying attention. I'm valuing what you're saying. I hear this. I'm going to combine my experience, my talents to merge with you, and we're going to build this thing. And and it could be a poem. It could be a song. It could be sharing a snack. It could be all these different things. But when we're making art day to day and we're getting better together, it is I don't know anything more beautiful. And then third parties will come and say, oh, look at that. And I can look at you because we made this together and we can celebrate together like we gave this person that gift to see this thing that we made together. And then all of a sudden, this other person, this third party is in our circle. And then we expand and we expand and we expand. And um, and that I, I, it's the truest gift. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that expansion is how we tend to move things out into the community because people will say, well, how is this about community integration, the new buzzword? And we say that it's a natural community integration, you know, because that person that came in is the the, the owner of a coffee shop uptown. And she says, oh, my gosh, you know, I would love to have this in my coffee shop. And can can you make six more pieces for me? And we're like, absolutely, we can. Or she says, well, you know, I would really love a giant coffee cup in here. Can you do something like that? And we'll say, yes, we can. We can make you a giant paper mache coffee cup, you know, to put right in your front window. Mm-hmm. So art is both a process, mm-hmm. right? It is a way of being with one another, a way of acknowledging a shared humanity amidst people who are different. But it also yields beautiful amazing, vibrant pieces of art, right, products that find their way into the world, into coffee shops, right, or into the the bakery up the street or the Aveda salon. So it's both a process, a way of being, and it creates products that in turn offer a livelihood for individuals who Mm -hmm. otherwise might not have a livable wage. Right, it creates recognition it creates connection. It creates opportunity to earn income. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, there there are so many values to what to what we do that, you know, it's kind of hard to even capture them sometimes. Mm-hmm. That to mm-hmm. to watch how it kind of spiders out and 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 reaches so many different people and in a much more natural way than than trying to take people out in small groups into community settings and hoping that they then become integrated as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and our intention at PassionWorks is to respond to our community mm-hmm. needs. You know, so there's the pawpaw festival. We make all kinds of pawpaws, which is a native <laughs> indigenous fruit of Southeast Ohio. <laughs> kind of like a banana, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> but we have this fantastic festival, and so we make pawpaw art. And and we know that there are people working really hard to make a beautiful festival, and we can add to it. Mm. We can add to the Nelsonville Music Festival. We can add to um, we, the project we did with you with um, uh, uh, turning it gold, mm-hmm. turning mm-hmm. gold with passion, mm-hmm. with childhood mm-hmm. cancer awareness. And, and so we can respond to all these things, and we give evidence to the spirit of our local community and to these other events and happenings that are going on. And so the Visitors Bureau totally digs us, you know. We've developed this metal flower 
that people get paid um, an hourly wage, minimum wage to to paint, and it's the passion flower, official flower of Athens, Ohio. And mm-hmm. it's available on our website, <laughs> passionworks.org. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was designed as the center of a, a fountain that's in our town. Um, it's a hanging in the mayor's office. We sold over 27,000 of them. Um, and we've created employment but, and, you know, and funding back to the studio. But ultimately, it's like I think about it sometimes. Every flower is a portal into possibility that our customers and the people who receive gifts – when they look at the passion flower, it's beautiful and it's lovely. And then when they hear the story, I, I do believe that people say, oh, my God, we have such capacity as human beings to be able to do things. Look mm-hmm. at this gorgeous thing. And then they come back and they talk about us in Athens, Ohio. And uh, that's, that's magical to me mm-hmm. that we can spread that out there like that. Mm-hmm. I was recently in Birmingham, Alabama, in the provost of University of Alabama at Birmingham's office, and there was a passion flower there. <laughs> and I got really excited, <laughs> right, because we're several states away, right, thousand and some miles. And, and yet the spirit of Passionworks is there because someone had given her mm. a passion flower as a gift. Yeah. So we're talking about a social movement that might have started in Athens, Ohio, but has really crossed the borders mm-hmm. of states and, and even nations. Because, Patty, you've been um, working in Russia. Yeah. You've been to Kosovo. Yeah. been to South America. You've mm-hmm. been to various places taking the same responsive model that's based on creativity. And it's based on this assumption that there's an abundance of resources mm-hmm. wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to help identify what those are. Right. And, and it's, it's following human nature in that we're all the same. You know, we, we, we live to, we thrive with connection, purpose, and belonging. And without it, we fail to. And so as, as I respond to you and I listen to you and you respond to me, um, we, we bi- build connection. We make art and we have a project going on that's purpose. And then together we have belonging. And mm-hmm. we, can, we can invite these things to happen within a space. And so I've been places where English has not been the common language. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it's fine. We're making together. We're communicating. Mm-hmm. We communicate in lots of different ways. I work with people. We all know people who don't have verbal ability, whether they understand English. But when you get down to it, eye contact, movement, you know, describing things, making drawings, building something. We we can work together, mm-hmm. and it's like it's just it's magical when it when it's flowing. It's really lovely. Mm-hmm. It's life giving. It's the best way that I can describe it. When when I'm in the studio, I feel like I have a better vision of how to be fully present in the moment and and with others. Mm. And I consider that to be a real gift um, that the studio offers all participants. Well, you know, we have people who um, we know who just come in and stand in the space to be, to feel better mm-hmm. and to get a kind of a jolt. There's a lady from West Virginia who comes in just to be in the space, you know, and um, and our mayor talks about it, but Steve Patterson has his happy place. He'll come in, I'm like, hey, Steve, what do you need? He's like, nothing. I'm just here for a little bit. <laughs> it's really lovely. Hi folks, Lynn breaking in for just a second. We've been talking to Patty Mitchell, the founder and president of Passionworks, and Susan Delowey, chief operating officer of Passionworks and founder and director of Norwich Consulting. Together, they operate Creative Abundance Consulting. If you'd like to read their recent co-authored article in Health Communication, I encourage you to go to the Defining Moments Facebook page at dmpodcastwoub. There's a link to the article that can be accessed for free until January of 2020. Their book, titled Upcycling Sheltered Workshops, A Revolutionary Approach to Transforming Workshops into Creative Spaces, is published by Ohio University Swallow Hills Press. If you go to the Passionworks website, passionworks.org, and use the code PODCAST, you can order the book and receive a 20% discount. Again, you can get a 20% discount on this book by using the code PODCAST 
at passionworks.org. They're also featured in a documentary film titled Creative Abundance, available on Amazon. Of course, this information is uploaded on the Defining Moments Facebook page as well, at DM Podcast W-O-U-B. Okay, back to our conversation. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the space of the studio. What's really incredible, though, is that the artists of the studio, right, now are the key heroes in Honey for the Heart, right, a, an annual experience that brings together people to celebrate, right, Halloween and to revision what Halloween might be as a family-friendly, inclusive activity in Athens. Right? They, they come to classes at Ohio University and share their art and their ideas and their experiences. Um, they truly are moving outside of the studio as well. Just as their art is, so mm-hmm. are they, mm-hmm. right? They're on Court Street. They're in that that main vibrant aspect of our community. It, it definitely happens, and you know, it's and we say all the time, it's like if I if we perceive another as not being being less than, mm-hmm. then those opportunities will follow that less than men's mindset. If we perceive that there's all kinds of possibility, then again, opportunities will. Mm-hmm. bloom for mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And so in the studio, I think we've created the evidence of um, that our artists are wildly talented, incredibly productive, and and so lovely to be around. Like you walk into the studio, you'll never come to a more welcoming environment as a stranger. You won't last as a stranger very long. You'll be pulled into the vortex. And, um, and so that is understood in our community is very receptive to people of all abilities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we ha- we are invited to do things that I think um, a lot of communities would be surprised that our, our artists are running workshops with college students mm-hmm. in leaders in all different aspects, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I see having profound impact in this community is the, the university um, connection with Passion Works that there are a lot of students that come into Passion Works for community service hours or to volunteer um, or you know to work off some little thing they might have gotten into in one of the dorms mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think what what I've found and I live in Columbus is that the connection that they have with Athens and Ohio University is often a connection through Passion Works like if I'm in in Columbus, and I happen to have a Passion Work shirt on. It doesn't. It never fails that you know four or five people will be like, "I know Passion Works," and I'm like, "How do you know?" Well, I volunteered there, or I did community service hours there, or I have a Passion Flower. And, and I think you know we find that everywhere we go. Uh, the university connection and the alumni that are all over the country continue to talk about and, and spread the word about PassionWorks. And I think that's part of the reason that we have sales that are, you know, across all 50 states mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. Passion Flower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it, it, it really speaks to um, kind of the importance of a well-lived life. And, and in a university town, if we have opportunities to encounter and learn from and live with people who are different, it reduces our fear mm-hmm. of that difference. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes from the article that you published in Health Communication is this, quote, once a group's humanity is witnessed, it is difficult for larger society to forget and dismiss them. Once a group's humanity is witnessed, it's difficult for a larger society to forget and dismiss them. And I've seen that with our students. I've seen it with my daughter, who has grown up around passion works and around artists like David Dewey. And and she's not afraid of somebody who might move through the world in a wheelchair. And I think it's because we have opportunities to be with people right? And, and to learn with people and to exercise our imagination with people who are different. And that's lasting. That's a, a lifelong lesson. Long after they, 
they, our students, can recite particular theoretical ideas or concepts. They're going to remember those experiences. Mm-hmm. And those feelings of being in mm-hmm. those spaces and it being positive and refreshing and lovely and exciting. And, um, and so... So with sheltered workshops, if people are cloistered outside of and in the hinterlands, way out in the middle of who knows where, we don't have as a community to practice to be with each other. Mm-hmm. And there must be a reason those people are kept separate. Well, there is, but it's not one that you're thinking. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. the direct opposite is true. Our artists are just um, so gregarious. And, uh, and you know, we, we attract people who want to be in the space in which we offer. And... Um, and they're so excited to meet new people and to mm-hmm. be part of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So coming full circle, Patty, you indicated that it was happenstance that you you started the art programming in a sheltered workshop. And, and your goal wasn't at the time to necessarily revolutionize or transform them. But once there, right? <laughs> once there. <laughs> once there, you, you did see possibility. But I guess one thing I I really hope for our listeners is that our conversation, as they've joined it, it sparks ideas for them because this is a movable model. Yes. Right? It might have started and gained traction in one sheltered workshop where it's diffused to other sheltered workshops. But the responsive, creative, abundant nature of this, I believe, has power to inspire other social service organizations and professional development opportunities. Can you speak to us a little bit about the movability of your work? It's absolutely replicable where it's invited, where people are. And it could be around a card table with a few people, or it could be in an extent, in a, um, uh, I've worked in VA hospitals, women violence shelters, extended care facilities, schools. It's it's basically everywhere I was told it wouldn't work, and also where I was invited, because it's it's following the thread of human nature and our innate ability for creativity and our interest and our curiosity in what we are interested in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and this process allows somebody who loves sailboats to be sitting next to somebody who loves Sasquatch and, and be able to be together and make their own interests happen before them. Mm-hmm. So so that is – so you can pick it up by – and move it to where it's invited. And we've seen it over and over again in different cultures, in places with a lot of money, not with, a, with places that are challenged – Economically, it doesn't matter as long as the heart's there and and the uh, invitation to explore and to to invite the unknown. Mm-hmm. Patty, I don't think that anybody that's listening now can't get an image of Sasquatch in a sailboat out of their mind right now. <laughs> right? It's the magic of words, right? <laughs> and our capacity to imagine otherwise, right? right? You just close your eyes and you try really hard. As soon as she said that, that's all I could think about. Yep, and those two people sitting together, before you know it, Sasquatch will be sailing that boat. (laughs) See, that's a nice collaboration. I like it. Mm, mm -mm. (laughs) Right, and right, it brings a smile to your face. Uh, We we are living in a, a world of some tough times, and what you offer is a capacity to dignify right, rather than diminish the human spirit. And you do that artistically, collaboratively, in inclusive spaces, right, of joy and love. Yes, and, and we do it with incredible spectacle and color, right? <laughs> <laughs> real loud, real big. I mean, yeah, it, and it, it is no accident that if we're going to do something, it, often a, a puppet will be 15 foot tall or a cover, of, you know, but be bright and sparkly and lovely. And um, one, because we like to entertain ourselves and make ourselves giggle. Absolutely. It keeps us going. And then the other is to prove a point beyond a shadow of a doubt that the people that we get to make art with are absolutely spectacular creative beings and do not deserve to be cloistered or kept away because of a perceived disability and that they do not fit in our society. And so we don't give them a space to fit in. And then Mm. as soon as we do, then look what's possible. And so, um, you know, I I consider myself a warrior in, in for the people that I 
love and get to be with. And anything that I can do to help bring attention and respect, I will do it. Hmm. And I will make a, you know, 20-foot pink bunny outside of our shop if that's going to attract people in to get through our door, mm-hmm. which I guess that'll have to be next. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Susan, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from the film Creative Abundance. You argue that people with developmental differences are one of the last groups who continue to have their rights violated Mm -hmm. in the U.S., that this is a civil rights issue for you. Yeah, it's a civil rights issue. It's a human rights issue. Um, I often, I think about that often, that it's, it's one of the very few groups of people that we dictate how they're going to be, where they're going to be, and who they're going to be with. And even as we continue this shift, we're still dictating. We're still sitting now because now all we're doing is saying, well, we don't think those sheltered workshops are that great anymore, so everybody needs to work in the community. We're not going to fund sheltered workshops anymore. We're only going to fund integrated community jobs. And that's going to leave behind a huge chunk of people. And Patty and I... The groups that we work with typically are people that are generally considered unemployable mm. by the general rehabilitation kind mm-hmm. of definition of employment or employment first. And they, those are our superstars. You know, those are people that we spend the most time with. I would say that probably 60% of the people that attend Passion Works have been deemed unemployable. But they're all earning an income. They're all viable parts of their community. They're important members of our tribe. Mm -hmm. And prior to the artful collaborations, their vocation might have been something like putting a cap on a pen for hours at a time. A lifetime of decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shredding paper, putting a cap on a pen doing simulated work Mm -hmm. that's taken apart at the end of the day, and you Mm -hmm. do it again tomorrow, Mm -hmm. pushing a rock up a hill. (sighs) Yeah. And for people who live in bodies where they might have a limited range of motion in their hands, I can't imagine a worse fit, right, (laughs) in terms of vocation and employment. Yeah, we always seemed surprised that people couldn't work at a pace fast enough to earn minimum wage. Mm -hmm. That was always seemed to be a surprise in the sheltered workshop that, Mm -hmm. well, they're only working at 30% of what would be considered normal capacity, right? They have use of one hand or they have cerebral palsy, right? you know, and they have tremors or, you know, there's any number of reasons that somebody wouldn't be able to work at that capacity. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yet we would say, well, then we'll pay them 30% of what somebody at minimum wage would get, mm-hmm. which would end up being pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a design issue. Mm-hmm. So the design was for the person to fit the product. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for a, a number of people to fit. So the, with the passion flower, it was a t- turning it, that on its head, and the design of the product responded to the people who were in the room. Mm-hmm. So people like to paint, so we painted the big metal sheets, cut them down to make the – but it was the, – the process and the, of, the, of making the product was all about the people who were going to be making it, mm-hmm. which is a design – it's a design question. And so if we can get people in to rethink possibility about what a job would be, then we're all fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. we were having people contorted into something that was uncomfortable. And and that's what I responded to seeing. Yeah, and I always found that interesting because I didn't choose a job that I wasn't good at. You know, I didn't choose to do anything with math because I wasn't that good at math. You know, yet we expect mm-hmm. you, because you have a developmental difference, that you will inherently and automatically be good at assembling things, <laughs> which is it's the opposite. Right. So part of that design challenge is integrating appropriate technologies mm-hmm. in an environment. So you might tape a paintbrush on a helmet 
that would allow a person to paint, right, in an alternative way, mm-hmm. or even using a computer program where with an eye and the way the eye moves, it can create images on a screen that can be translated to a page, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have been really innovative in creating and cultivating environments that by design allow individuals in diverse bodies, right, to be fully engaged, to be expressive, to be communicative, to be creative. Now, right. you know I'm going to say this, Patty. Patty once made a uh, weighted paintbrush holder with a potato. <laughs> <laughs> that I did not know. <laughs> yes, it was brilliant. We have, I do have a photograph of it. Yeah, it was a woman that was having a really difficult time with um, hand sh- her handshaking, and Patty disappeared for a minute. She came back, and she had a potato in her hand. She stuck the end of the paintbrush in the potato and handed it to this woman, and she just all of a sudden created this beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that was that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it was the weight of the potato held the tremor, and um, and then the paintbrush and the angle could be made because you could put the paintbrush in at any angle into the potato. <laughs> so, um, but that but that's the thing. It's like if you, if we realize that our bodies are full of life, right, and our and we can move it the way that we can move it, then our, we get to figure out what's the best method for that particular person, and then when you hit it. It is a party. It is so, so exciting. It's so addictive to be able to be part of that process. And, you know, it's, you know, if you want to find a workforce of people who are energized and wanting to work and grateful and happy and it's the, it's our, it's the people that, you know, our core group of artists and people with developmental difference are often just, just an incredible slice of our population. And, and all we have to do, (laughs) we don't have to do. I mean, I don't even, I never feel like I'm at work. Mm. Work in the sense of when people say, oh, it's Monday. I'm like, it is Monday. I'm going in. It's like, what's going to happen today? Seriously. It's just all the time. It just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could be retired, and instead I f- everybody says, well, why are you still working? I said, I'm living the dream. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know, I get to hang out with these wildly creative, fun people all the time, and I, I just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do a giant puppet parade, like you said, in, in October, where we spend a whole month making mm-hmm. giant puppets. <laughs> That's not work. <laughs> That's fun. Mm-hmm. And it is social activism. You are disrupting you are shifting our social imagination, the way that we think about people with developmental differences. That's that's social justice work that you're doing mm-hmm. as warriors. And 20 years into it, right? 20 years since the inception of the studio. And as we close, I, I just want to give you each an opportunity to kind of leave our listeners with, with something to think about, right? And the way that I approach the podcast experience is one of a process. I don't think about them as episodes. I think about podcasting as an ongoing, living, breathing experience because people are going to enter in at different points in time, in different locations, sometimes on a walk, sometimes while they're cooking, and they're going to make sense from their own unique standpoint. And they're going to take away things and ask questions that that we can't anticipate. Even so, we have an opportunity to expand and and to offer ideas for them to continue to to think about and ponder and maybe even act on. What's what's one thing that each of you would would like to leave our our audience with? I'll go first because mm-hmm. I want Patty to wrap up. Okay. <laughs> um, if this former sheltered workshop director can see a different way of doing programming and be inspired to see a shift that really makes a difference in people's lives. I feel like anybody can because I spent uh, 20 years of a career actually as the director of sheltered workshops. Hmm. And when I met Patty, we keep saying it was 10 years ago, so we're going to go with that. But I think it's been a little bit longer now. But when I met Patty and saw what she was doing, I'm like, what have I been doing my whole life? Mm. You know, I saw a completely different way of approaching the work. And 
like I just said, it, it's, it's no longer work. It's, it's like a life dream to be able to actually have such a dramatic impact on people's lives, the way they're perceived in the community. And, you know, I, I know I said it was a social justice issue or a human rights issue. Um, and I think we just kind of do that naturally. We don't think about it mm-hmm. as we're going through mm-hmm. our daily work. But, you know, again, if I can make this shift, then I think the shift can happen. Mm. <laughs> well, I would say when you asked that question, it just popped into my head is um, to encourage like one of the things I love to do as a game is is looking at objects and imagining their second life. Like what can happen to a water bottle? Like what if you covered it with fabric and turned it into a giant nose of a reindeer puppet and then this, that, you know, like, so to imagine objects and giving them second, third lives and that they're, th- these objects are precious or they're garbage, depending on how you think about them. Mm. And it's like, I can pick up a piece of fabric that was from an old pair of, an old shirt or something, and I can start to make something out of it, or I can throw it away and say, well, that's done. That I have no more use for that. And that we can do that for each other. I can say, well, this person just really has no value, and they are not a participating member of society, so I'm going to step over them and continue on my way. Or I can say, oh, this person is full of life. What, what, what is it that interests them? How can, I, how can I get to know them? How can we together do something fabulous and anticipate that? And that will happen. So we have so much power within our being as to how we see the world and how we shape the world. And so practice by picking up, you know, a piece of a water bottle and turning it into a flower just with a little bit of cutting with a pair of scissors. And then and do that by meeting a new person and just expecting the very best from them and then seeing how you can go forward. And um, your world will just really it will it will unfold in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Object by object, person by person, you start to shift a culture mm-hmm. of an organization and a culture of a community. Right? Right. And we create, we become who we're capable of being with one another. By helping each other get mm-hmm. there too. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Thank you for not only your conversation today, but for what you're doing, right? Um, for, for the people who participate in Passionworks, but stepping back from that, the model that you offer us um, in the Creative Abundance model has, has a lot to teach us about living um, a well-lived life. So I thank you very much for that. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you. Defining Moments is produced by WOUB Public Media and the Barbara Geralds Institute for Storytelling and Social Impact. Adam Rich is our co-producer. You can subscribe to Defining Moments at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the NPR Podcast Directory. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WOUB. Thank you. Um, I hope all of our listeners can go in peace and love one another. Mm-hmm.